Alrighty. Well, welcome everyone to the 8. I hope everyone is having a great morning so far. Before we jump into today's topic, as we are continuing our series titled After 33 AD, before we go any further, I do want to start with three disclaimers, because you need to understand these three disclaimers before we're able to move forward with our conversation. The first disclaimer I do want to share with you is the difference between teaching and preaching. I know this might not pertain to many of you, but to me this is a big deal just because this is a big part of ministry. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. So teaching is I need to share with you these eight points and each point has three subpoints, right? That's teaching, right? I'm coming with a certain topic, a subject, and I'm, and I'm kind of going everywhere with different points. That's teaching. There's something titled preaching, which is there's one centralized message that is there to convict you, to compel you, to stir up something that's going to bring life change. Of course, teaching can bring life change, but there is a distinction between teaching and preaching, right? Because, like, you might walk out of hearing a sermon or a talk. If it is more teaching, you don't walk away and you're like, yeah, you know, point number six, that, that really, really touched me. Nobody does that because they're, they're, it's kind of like everywhere. You need teaching. There's, there's venues where you do need teaching. But there are venues where you need more preaching, right? So I want to make a distinction between teaching and preaching. Why I'm saying all this? Because I think this is the first time in the past four years I'm going to be leaning more toward teaching today as opposed to preaching. Uh, but, but anyway, I do want to make a distinction between teaching and preaching. Why I'm sharing all this is because for the first time, I think, in the past four and a half years of St. Mark Church, we are talking about church history church history. And I know some of you have already checked out. Let me pull on my phone. I hate history. I don't want nothing to do with history. And, but I want you to bear with me. I promise you, this is going to be a very high-level uh, timeline view of church history, of how we came from one church to over 47,000 denominations. All right? So that's disclaimer number one is teaching versus preaching. Second disclaimer there are more in common than there are differences when we look at the different versions of Christianity. So I want to make sure from the get-go, hear me out. I'm not here to bash, I'm definitely not here to bash, but I am here to highlight differences. But do not forget, between all of Christendom, there are more in common than there are differences. We all agree on the foundational things of Jesus being the Son of God, born of a Virgin Mary, to save the world. There is an understanding element of, of the fundamentals of Christianity. So there are more in common than there are differences. So I'm wanting to highlight some of the differences just so we can see the evolution that has happened over the past 2,000 years of where we have today over 47,000 denominations. And my last disclaimer, this ain't my thing. I am not a historian. I'm not one of those people that I love to read about history. I'm not that kind of person at all. And, and, and I'll tell you, a big reason why I'm not that kind of person is because, just me personally, everyone's different. I want to focus more on how I can be like Jesus. I want to focus more on how I can anchor myself to the first century church. I'm focusing more on how I can take my struggles, my issues, my insecurities, my role as a father, as a husband, I want to take all of that and see how I can anchor all of that to the first century version of Christianity. So this is, like, that's where my heart is. 
So this, so this is not my natural forte as far as to talk about history, but it is highly important. And I will share with you why you need to know some of the fundamentals of understanding church history. Let's start with Jesus, shall we? Jesus is with his disciples, and he tells them. This is near the end, after his, uh, uh, this is near the end of, his, of his journey. Jesus tells him this. He tells his disciples, go. <coughs> go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? I, I don't know if it's just me. Every time I say this verse, I think of that, a childhood song I learned in VBS when I was a kid. Matthew 28, 19. Matt, go therefore and make disciples. So Jesus made it super, super clear to his, to his followers. Get out of here. A mission has been sparked. A movement has begun. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus just didn't tell them, guys, it's been an awesome three years. You know, this has been awesome. Peace. No. Jesus told them, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Basically, he's saying, I don't care about language. I don't care about culture. I don't care about any of that. You need to go and tell people to follow the fullness of who I am in the Holy Trinity, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey. So he's basically telling them, okay, you need to tell, go and baptize them. So he's giving them, Jesus, Jesus is telling them about the sacrament of baptism. So he made that clear. He made it clear about the fullness of God, the triune God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them to obey, which, I, yeah, I know, I know it's a nasty word, to obey. But Jesus made it very clear to them that they, they need to obey not some stuff, not twist things, not dilute things, not distort things. They need to obey everything. I have commanded you. So we need to follow the fullness of who Jesus is. This is exactly the words of Jesus is telling them. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what Jesus is saying? What you are a part of is bigger than you. What you are a part of surpasses you. You will come and go. You have a mission that you're part of the church with a capital C. But this goes on way past you. I am with you always even to the end of the age. But this goes even past you. This is until the kingdom come. So Jesus made it super, super clear as far as the mission and the establishment of the church. Now, our series is titled After 33 AD. So after 33 AD, this was the posture and mindset of the followers of Jesus. This was the mindset and posture of the apostles as they went to different regions and different corners of the globe by following this marching anthem in which Jesus made super, super clear to the disciples. From the early manuscripts that we have in the first few centuries of the church, the church was titled being the Catholic Church. And pause, no, not the Roman Catholic Church. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the church was titled the Catholic Church because Catholic means all-encompassing universal because they understood the church is not the little puny church in Alexandria, not the puny little church in Constantinople, not the puny little church in Rome. No, the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. So the church was titled being the Catholic Church, universal, all-encompassing. So this Catholic Church, which is the fullness of the church, there is no division, no, no, nothing yet, it's the Catholic Church. It, the church understood herself, the church being a female, is saying the church, well, we'll get to that, ignore me if that's confusing, the church, 
for now, let's say the church. The church organized itself, herself, by bishops, priests, and deacons. And this, we have these from the early decades, decades, decades of the church, of this is the natural structure of how the church should move and conduct herself. So this was the natural order of how things happened in the church. And, in the, in the, and it was made clear from the early centuries that the church had five main heads, five main heads around the Mediterranean rim when the church was being established. The cities were Alexandria in Egypt, Jerusalem, Antioch, Constantinople, and Rome. These were the first five heads of the church. And they all understood that they were equal, that they are all in one body and in one spirit. Yes, the expression of church was different from the early centuries because each place might have had a different language, a different culture, different mindset, but they were still centralized on one reality, the fullness of who God is and who his son is and who the church is. So it was made very clear that the church was all one. So far, so good? All right. The year 312 comes around, and there is an emperor by the name of King Constantine. King Constantine made a big push to um, elevate Christianity, and he actually made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. So before that, Christianity was kind of trying to make its way through praying in pharaonic temples, trying to make it through praying in like underground places, and they were tremendously persecuted. The church was tremendously persecuted. But what elevated the church in a more formal, formalized, structured way is King Constantine in Rome. He made it the official religion. And actually, King Constantine, because of his political power and his interest of being a Christian himself, he helped organize councils. So the councils of the church, or the fancy word is ecumenical councils. These church councils is when heads from different parts of the Christian church around these areas would come together in different cities, and they would come and organize and have clarity on the fullness of theology. Because in the first several hundred years, yes, there was the organic full church, but there were some funny whispers of people saying different things. Jesus wasn't really God, or people saying, no, he wasn't really man, and just different funny things were being said. So the church said, okay, time out, time out, time out. We need to regroup in order to make sure that we maintain and preserve the fullness of the theology and not let uh, little funny distortions or funny theology come into the picture. So this is where, where we find councils. And this is why in our ancient liturgical worship, in every Orthodox church, we mention the councils. And here's my little test for those who might attend divine liturgies. We have three councils, Nicaea, Constantinople, and Ephesus. These are the three main councils that we highlight and emphasize that really helped structure the church. They were all in the year 325 AD, 381 AD, and 431 AD. And there were bishops that gathered together. So in the Council of Nicaea, there was 318 bishops that got together. Constantinople, 150 bishops. In the city of Ephesus, there were how many bishops? Is anybody like... 200, okay, very good, very good. So here, we, there are, we, we mention, we say this prayer because the church now, the Orthodox Church, is the continuity of what has been established. So what, Jesus, what, what God has established, Jesus made, the apostles continued, and the councils helped formalize and organize. This is the fullness of the church. So this is why we mention those bishops and those councils 
in every church. Sorry, I should have put this graphic. Here are the, I know this is kind of a bad picture, but here are we, one, two, three, Nicaea, Constantinople, which is now modern-day Istanbul in Turkey, and then you have Ephesus. Those are the three main councils. Three councils, and then came another council. This is titled the Council of Chalcedon. Chalcedon. In the year 450 AD, 450 AD, 450 years, so about 400 years after Jesus' ascension, the church was one in every capacity. Then in 451 AD, another council was held, and you have church leaders coming together at this council, and they're talking about the nature of Jesus. Is, does Jesus, is Jesus God and man in one? Is he fully God, fully man? And they were going back and forth. Now, imagine for a second. Here you are, hundreds of church leaders coming together at this council. Everyone has a different personality, mindset, culture, way of thinking, and language. So here they are coming to discuss the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And as they were discussing things together, a fight broke out. <laughs> a fight. Because they, they, they were offended. No, we, need to, we, we understand that, that, that Jesus is God and man. And it went back and forth, back and forth. If we look at the meeting notes today, and we look back at it, they were both saying the exact same thing of understanding the humanity and divinity of Jesus. But they were using different language. Because culture has an impact. Language has an impact, right? So I might say the same term, but you might have a different definition than me, right? I say that I love, you know, whatever, right? But you might have a different definition of love. I have a different definition of love. So we need to go further on what do you mean by that term? But because they were so passionate about the church and maintaining and preserving who Jesus is, there was a division in the church. And this establishes the two families of the Orthodox Church. So from 450 AD, there are two families of Orthodoxy that has existed. There's a church called the Eastern Orthodox Church, which has a series of other churches that's part of that. And then you have the Oriental Orthodox Church family, which is including us. Everything is the same. But because of miscommunication, because of language, because of culture, there was a misunderstanding. From 451 AD till the present day, there is con co continuous conversations of how we can regain that unity because we were both saying the same thing, we need to regroup all together. But it is so hard after 1,500 years to try to regroup. So it takes time, it takes time. And I know all of us are like, oh, why can't we just get back together and all? Yes, I know, I know. But it's not that easy because from 450 AD, there is a wedge that happens in the fullness of the Orthodox Church. It takes time to be able to regroup those pieces from the year 450 AD. Just so you know, like, and you can channel me out if this is too much for you, but just to give you some detail, from, um, like when we say that his humanity became one with his divinity, without mingling, without confusion, without alteration, we as, as Oriental Orthodox Church, put tremendous amount of emphasis that there's one. No mingling, there's no confusion. He is one, fully God, fully man, period. And we've emphasized the oneness. Eastern Orthodox Church obviously believes the same, but they highlight like the, the being God and man and one. So they kind of highlight the two and one. We say one. We're saying the same thing. We're looking at the same thing, but from two different angles. So this is what caused 
some miscommunication. So you have the three main councils, you got the issue that happened in that one council in Chalcedon, but there's still, in theology and spirit, it's still understanding that this is the fullness of the Orthodox Church in every capacity besides the misunderstanding. In between these councils, you have many councils, you have miniature gatherings that happen, which formulated the structure of the Bible. This is where we get the organization of how to organize the Bible. And it was part of these councils and other councils that, made, that helped put the Bible together in which we know today. All right. So here we are. We have the five heads of the church. Miscommunication happened at the Council of Chalcedon, but we're good. A thousand years goes by, right? At a high level, let's just say now it's been 2,000 years since Jesus. At the middle point, a thousand years ago, this is where we have the big, 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 big division or the word schism that happened in church history. So from these five head churches, Rome all of a sudden said, um, guys, actually, I'm number one. And the other four are like, huh, what you talking about? Well, we're all together. And Rome started to kind of mm, do their own thing. They started to say, um, only clergy can read the Bible. And the rest of them like, huh? Like, the, the, it should not be abused. It's not a clergy thing. The Bible is the Bible. It should be over everyone. The Catholic Church began to, the church in Rome, let me not use Catholic Church yet. The, Rome, the, the Roman Church said, um, people can buy something called indulgences. If, if, my, if I have, like, a grandfather who passed away or whatever, and I can pay to the church in order to kind of expedite them to get from, uh, like, a waiting room area to heaven. And so there was a lot of corruption that happened. People started paying. It's like, yeah, I want to pray to make sure that my grandfather gets into heaven. And there was corruption that started to happen in the church. I'm, by the way, everything I'm sharing, I'm intentionally, I'm not sharing any bias. Like, if you ask any Catholic historian, they would say corruption seeped into the church. This happened in the Church of Rome. So many other things started to happen. They started adding things to the creed. For a thousand years, the creed was the creed. We believe in one God, no question. All of a sudden, the, Catholic, the church in Rome started to add more things. So they began to have a division in the year four, uh, 1054 AD. This is where we get something titled the Great Schism. I don't know why I chose all graphics from like the 60s, but this is like, so there was a, a division that happened in the church. This is where we find the first great division that happened in the fullness of the church. So far so good? All right. A thousand years ago was the Great Schism. The Roman Catholic Church was born, and they went and did their own thing. They separated themselves. They started adding other theology, including the infallibility of the Pope, and the rest of the church as a whole saying, what? We're all weak and sinful. No one is higher than anybody. So they're, like, the, the Roman Catholic Church started to add and invent new theology that became embedded into the, the, the very fabric of the Roman Catholic Church. Now comes a German monk in the Catholic Church who's wanting to press on the brakes, and he's saying, what? What on earth is happening in the church? He sees all the corruption, and he feels like he wants to restore the church. So imagine here, this is the church. This is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? We're all together on the same page. Then the Catholic Church started to, like, corruption and abuse of power seeped in, so the church started to go this way. So there was a monk who wanted to bring it back to the middle. This monk goes by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, right? Martin Luther, right? So Martin Luther said, we need to bring back. 
So he protested. This begin, begins the birth of the Protestant church. I'm way simplifying this, but I'm wanting to highlight the, the main events. So instead of him trying to bring it back to the middle, this is what Martin Luther did. The church is here. The Catholic church is kind of messed up. Martin Luther, whoosh, he went the other direction. He went a little bit too far to the other side as opposed to going to the middle. Right? Here, here's the fullness of the Orthodox Church. Catholic Church went this way. Martin Luther's like, uh-uh. And he went you know, too much the other way. So he needed to kind of find uh, alignment. But he went a little bit too far. And others. I mean, we understand Martin Luther's point. You know, he, he was saying a lot of points to recorrect the church. But he went a little bit too far. So here's a very nice simplistic timeline of the church. You have 33 AD right there on the bottom. You have the unchanged, undivided Orthodox Church. You have the Roman Catholic Church here. You have Anglican Church, we're not going to get into. And then you have Protestantism and thousands of denominations that were there. So that split from the Roman Catholic Church up there, that's because of Martin Luther. And this is a drawing of Martin Luther here. And he, because he wanted to protest and recorrect the church, he wrote down a, a letter and he, and he like hammered it into the door of the church. And these are called the 90, 95 Theses. He said, these are things that need to change in the church. He, he pointed out all the corruption, the things that need to be reformed, things that need to be changed. So he protested. He protested. This establishes the Protestant church. He oversimplified um, how to recorrect the church. And he says, you know what? Forget all this junk. Forgive me. Forget all the noise. Let's go down to five things is the bread and butter of to be a Christian. So these are like, the, they're called the solas. So they're in Latin, solo gratia, solo fide, solo Christos, solo scriptura, sole deo gloria. So these are like the five things. So, he's a bit, so Martin Luther is saying, you know what? You only need grace alone. That's it, grace alone. You only need faith, faith alone. You know what? You only need Christ, Christ alone. You know what? You only need the Bible, so only scripture alone. And only give glory to God alone, period. And so he diluted and simplified the fullness of Christianity by moving too much this way, and he came up with these five statements, which is the bedrock of the 47,000 Protestant churches. All right? Who cares about all this? Like, for real. Like, who cares? Like, why don't we just be Jesus followers and that's it? Like, why can't I just love Jesus? Or, and I, man, I can use this example. We love each other. I love Jesus. She loves Jesus. That's what all that should matters. Like, wh why do we, like, who, the church stuff and the, we love Jesus and that's it. I'm with you. I'm with you. But we need to understand the differences. And, and, and please, I'm not showing any disrespect by these cheesy analogies. Meat is meat. But there's definitely a difference between McDonald's burger and Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Both are meat. Both are meat. But there's a huge difference between the two. So I can't just say church is church, love is love, Jesus is Jesus, and, and, and that's about it. I need to understand the differences that exist. Because if I ask you, hey, do you want some meat? You say, yeah, I want some meat. But you, you, would, you would want to know what type of meat, right? You want to know, is it, is it you know, processed? Is it McDonald's meat? Or are you talking about something, a nice steak you're going to make for me? Why this matters is because when something becomes diluted and evolves and kind of goes off track, it ends up becoming something different than what it was originally. 
And I know you want the organic version of everything. You want the real deal of everything. You don't want something that's been processed. You want a real organic, gluten-free, well, I guess steak is already gluten-free, but you want the, you know, you want the non-GMO, you want the, the real deal, not something that's kind of been through the process. You guys remember the game Telephone, by the way? You remember the game Telephone in school, right? If I say, you know, if I say, you know, I love you, and you, I love you, I love you, I love you, then all of a sudden, Alfred's going to hear elephant shoes at the end of the day. Instead of I love you, I, elephant shoes. He's going to hear, oh, yeah, Father Nate said elephant shoes. No, because over time, the, word, the phrase I love you, become, like, you're going to hear it differently, and all of a sudden, it's going to become something completely different at the very end. So this is why all this matters. Yes, there are more in common than there are differences. Please, I don't want us to focus on comparison or differences because this is not our posture. This is not what it means to be a Jesus follower. We all have the same stressful mission of embracing our struggle and becoming more like Jesus. We all agree on that. But there can be versions that move things in different directions. But we need to regain the fullness because... I, I will always say this until God takes my last breath. Whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to believe, I can find a Bible verse to back up what you want to believe. I can take any verse, come up with a new meditation or commentary to the, vo to the verse to make it applicable to what you want to do in life. So we can all agree the Bible is the Bible, but how do we interpret the Bible? We can agree meat is meat, but what, what meat are we talking about? So we need to have those further discussions to understand the fullness of what theology is. I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority here, but like we're all about like wanting to make sure we get like, you know, the non-processed stuff at home as much as possible. We try, you know, if we can, not much of a price difference, we'll get the organic chicken, meat, whatever. And there's a movement overall in general in America where we're wanting to get to the roots of something. We want to get a non-processed version of something. We want to get to the original thing. And there's this movement of, even in food, of going from farm to fork. Something grown in the farm and go to fork. Actually, when I Googled this, there's a restaurant in Atlanta called Farm to Fork. Anybody been there? Yeah? Okay, so, so I didn't know this. I thought it was a cool name, and then all of a sudden I looked it up. There's a restaurant. It's called Farm to Fork. Okay, you can laugh at me, right? Okay, so... There's farm to fork. Everyone wants to get their food in the most healthiest, wholesome way. How about for spirituality? There's farm to fork. You can laugh at me. Alexandria to Atlanta. I'm so proud of myself. I thought about this all by myself. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we can stand and pray right now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, I, I mean, come on. How cool is this? Just as we like everything else, we want our chemicals and cleaning supplies and food. But we want it from farm to fork. Not our cleaning supplies, but food. We want from farm to fork. How about our world view? Wouldn't we love it to go from, like, the, one of the five heads from Alexandria to Atlanta? This is the beauty. Let me speak from my heart on this. I feel in my heart. It might not be in our lifetime but we do have a part on planting this seed. People are looking for truth. People are looking for the fullness of who Jesus is. There's, like, at least growing up in, in Gwinnett County in public schools, you hear, like, you know, people would ask me, 
you know, are you, are you Baptist or are you, I'm sorry, are you, huh? Are you Baptist or are you, are you Christian or are you Catholic? Are you Christian or are you Catholic? Like, huh? I was so confused. I'm like, um, neither. <laughs> but there was, the, like, where was I going with all this? What's in my heart? People are looking for truth. People are looking for the fullness of stuff, including their worldview. This is where I was going. Growing up, people would say, oh, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Lutheran, I'm whatever. Cool. I mean, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, there's a movement now to say, oh, I go to a non-denominational church, right? That, that there's more of a cooler thing, because you don't want to be you, you, restricted to, I'm part of the Baptist church. No, I say, I, I, I'm, I, I go to a non-denominational church. Super contemporary, it's cool, you know. I, I'm not saying this is a joke, you know, but pastor's cool, he's wearing jeans, and the whole thing's cool, like, they got, they got everything. It's awesome. You know, I, I, I go to a non-denominational church. There's this movement to go from a Reformed Protestant church to a non-denominational church, and I feel this in my heart. There's a movement to go to a pre-denominational church. People are hungry for that. We have a role to go back to understanding the framework and thought of that first century church. People are looking for that. This is why I feel in my heart the Orthodox Church is going to be attractive in Atlanta with all the versions of Christianity that exist. I feel through God's grace and God leading the way. We have a role to plant roots of the fullness of a first century church that is not clouded with culture and language, but for it to be American in English, but the first century church. This is our role. I might look back at this video in 20 years and see God working, and I feel that in my heart. I'm excited to see what God will do in orthodoxy as a whole and specifically for our church family. People are hungry for truth. Let me end with this beautiful quote. This is from a fourth century bishop, St. Athanasius. Let us look at the very tradition, teaching, and faith of the Catholic Church from the very beginning. Again, he's talking about Roman Catholics, talking about the fullness of the church. Let us look at the very tradition, teaching, and faith of the Catholic Church from the very beginning. This church, how is this church structured? This is what the Logos gave, Jesus, the Logos, this is what Jesus gave. The apostles preached and the fathers preserved. Upon this, the church is founded. This is the fullness of the one holy Catholic and apostolic, organic, non-GMO church. And people are looking for it. I want us to take pride that we are part of that pre-denominational church. And we have some work to do. Again, the fullness of all of this, the fruits of all this, we might not see in our lifetime. But I do know the direction, culture, society, America is going. People are looking for truth. Come on, right? Fake news, misinformation, people are looking for the truth. People are looking for not organic processed meat. They're looking for the or or organic meat. So there's a movement to go back to the roots. That is going to also come when it comes to Christian spirituality.
We have work to do. Let us pray. Let's roll up our sleeves. And first and foremost, take pride. Even if you are not an Orthodox Christian yourself, you are here interested in a first century expression of Christianity. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you have entrusted us with your church. And Lord, I ask that you protect me, protect all of us, not to fall into the trap of being judgmental, not to fall into the trap of comparison, but for us to embrace the richness and beauty of your ancient, full Catholic church for us to be embedded into the beauty of your church, for us to absorb everything that you have given us in this church, and for us to live that out. Help us to never lose sight, for us to be the hands and feet of you at all times, and not to get lost on the semantics of different versions of Christianity. Lord, we know you have amazing plans for your church. This is your church. And we are here on the front row to see you work, and we cannot wait to see what you will do through us in your church. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.